This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Nick Parker talks about the sacrifice of marriage. What does sacrifice mean in marriage? Does sacrificing bring us happiness in marriage? Well, let's find out. Father Nick is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. Now we'd like to welcome in Father Nick Parker, defined as a theological scholar, a degree in theology from Mundelein Seminary in Mundelein, Illinois. Also has advanced degrees from the same seminary as licentiate in sacred theology, currently working to complete a doctorate in sacred theology and has served at Sacred Heart Parish in Atwood, Assumption of Mary Parish in Herndon, St. John, uh, I'm not even going to begin to try to <laughs> pronounce Okay, thank you, uh, in Beardsley, and served at Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina before coming to Hayes as pastor, Immaculate Heart of Mary. Father Nick Parker, welcome. Thank you. Is this the first time you've been on? I think that's the first time you've been on with me. It's the first been, time I've been on with you. I've, okay. I've been on a couple of like really short times. I think I got a couple of one of those. Uh, um, you're listening to KVDM radio. Oh sort yeah, of okay, things, okay. But that's about but, it. But doing some live stuff. This is maybe the first, first time, time live yeah. on this on this occasion. Yeah. Well, welcome. We're glad you're here. And today we're going to talk about the sacrifice of marriage. And so you did your dissertation on the sacrifice within marriage, according to the Catholic philosopher and uh, theologian Diedrich von Hildebrand. Tell us a little bit uh, about who Diedrich von Hildebrand is and, and why we should care about what he has to tell us. Uh, sure. Uh, so Diedrich von Hildebrand, he is originally a, a German scholar, so he was uh, raised in Germany. He was born in 1889, and for those who are familiar with at least a little bit of history, early 20th century, especially in in Europe, Germany, showed a great rise in different uh, systems that promoted collectivism and totalitarianism. Eventually this led to different government systems, most common ones, fascism, Bolshevism, and Nazism. Mm -hmm. uh, so he, he lived through that, he saw all that. And basically what these systems did is they said that the point of the individual person is to serve the entire collective, to serve the entire whole. And so with the Nazis, it was very much like, if we think a certain person isn't serving the whole, we'll get rid of them because we want to make ourselves the greatest of nations. If we think that one person isn't really serving the whole, then we'll try to enforce severe punishments on them. And, and so it really degraded the human individual. And so with that, von Hildebrand very much wrote against these sorts of notions, was a huge advocate for something called personalism, which said that you know, these government holes are supposed to be promoting the individual, or are supposed to uphold the dignity of the individual. He was also one of the first philosophers in the realm of phenomenology, uh, which phenomenology tries to find truth from the human experience, so how we experience the, the truths in life. And with that, he's actually a convert to Catholicism. His family was known as what they called noble pagans, is what, uh, what his uh, wife called them. So they, he didn't grow up in a, in a Catholic household or a very religious household, but uh, they were very much involved in the arts and music and <coughs> things like that. So uh, with that, when you look at all of von Hildebrand's background, all of his works and everything, 
he really speaks to the human person, the dignity of the human person and how to really live a fullness of life. Now, eventually he actually was on the top of Hitler's hit list because of his being so active against this. He had to flee from Germany with his family to Austria and then eventually from Austria, he fled to the United States and eventually died in New York. He was a professor at Fordham University for a number of years. Wow. So. Rather interesting. I've heard about Diedrich von Hildebrand, but really didn't know much about him. I knew he was a, a philosopher. Anyway, we're, we're talking about the sacrifice of marriage, and we're talking with Father Nick Parker this morning about that. Diedrich von Hildebrand was a philosopher, as I mentioned, and what are some of the more important teachings of von Hildebrand in the area of philosophy? Well, in the area of philosophy, I said he was a phenomenologist, but in almost all of his works, you'll find this notion that he brings up again and again and again, which he calls value response. Now, it's interesting how he came upon this sort of notion. Uh, he was writing his own philosophical dissertation at the time, and he was with his sister. I want to say they were in Vienna at the time. But anyways, they were just shopping around, and they were going by a store, and he was just looking at these products in the window of a store. And all of a sudden, this whole notion came to him in an instant of how he was responding to the products in the store window, and he had to completely rewrite his dissertation in order to promote this notion that he called value response. Now, what a lot of sources don't tell you is that what he was looking at in the window were sausages. So his entire philosophy is inspired by Italian sausages, which I just think is great. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Vienna sausages. <laughs> yeah, uh, it could have been Vienna sausages. I don't know exactly what sausages they I, were. I was thinking you said they were in Vienna, but that's that's. But uh, whenever I needed inspiration to keep me going, I'd go out and get some sausages myself when I was working on my dissertation. Helped me get in touch with Von Hildebrand. But anyways, value response is basically the idea that everything in life has inherent values, whether that's uh, truth or beauty or whatever have you, and that these are objective values within the object, then our response to it needs to be appropriate to the value that's in that object. So if I see a beautiful work of art, I should have an appropriate response, and what should that response be? If I see somebody poor on the street, I should have a, a, a certain response to that person, and what should that response be? And so a lot of his philosophy, and even theology, is based off of that notion of what is the proper response to the inherent values. You were talking about Dietrich von Hildebrand, and let's talk about some of the most important teachings on the sacrament of marriage according to von Hildebrand. Okay, so, um, just to give a little bit more background here, another thing that was very prominent in von Hildebrand's time was the 1917 Code of Canon Law. And if Father Peter is out there, he's probably going to be listening very closely to make sure I get this right, <laughs> and hopefully he'll correct me. Is he a uh, canon lawyer? He is a he canon is lawyer. Okay. He's a okay. canon lawyer for our diocese. He's very good at it. The 1917 Code of Canon Law stated that the purpose of marriage was for procreation. Um, and then it did say that there were some other secondary purposes. One was to have mutual help among the spouses. But a lot of people, including, including von Hildebrand, kind of wondered if this was sufficient because it didn't really mention much about the love relationship between man and wife. And so that would probably be the most prominent contribution that von Hildebrand had is that he started writing on what the love relationship was between man and wife. 
And so in a lot of his writings, he will say the purpose of marriage is procreation. He doesn't want to go away from canon law at all. And he sees that that's absolutely essential in marriage. But then he would also say that the meaning of marriage is love. And so he would then go in to describe what that all kind of uh, looked like and how those work together. I think you could very much compare this to John Paul II's theology of marriage, where he says that marriage is for, there's a unitive and a procreative aspect to it. Unitive is the uniting of man and wife in love. The procreation is for the, the children and the family. And so uh, you can even see those comparisons between him and JP too. Now, is that code, I know you talked about the 1917 code, and did, did that change in the 83 code, or is, that, is it kind of the same? Are you, are you sure? I, I, I mean, believe it is it's um, not, the same in the 1983, the okay. yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how he understands the role of love in marriage. Okay. How would you address that? Well, uh, he actually has an entire book called The Nature of Love, which is really interesting. He goes into it in, in a lot of great depths. Most people, when they think of love in the theological world, they think of Thomas Aquinas's definition of love, which is concern for the well-being of another. Von Hildebrand isn't afraid to go into the emotional side of it, though, and that's one of the things that makes him very unique. Uh, he says that love is a value response. It's a response to the inherent values of a person. But he says it's the greatest of all responses, so he calls it a super-value response. But another thing that I think is really good that he says about love is he, he says that there are different types of love. And I think that's really important, especially in our modern day, because oftentimes we hear that phrase being thrown around, love is love. You know, so don't classify it. Don't determine it in any other way. Love is love and respect love as love. Von Hildebrand would actually find that very repulsive, actually. <laughs> Because he, he's very much of the mindset that, no, there are different types of love. Uh, a parent can't love a child in the same way that this person is going to love their spouse. It's just two different ways of loving. Or I'm not going to be able to love a friend in the same way I love my parents. It just looks different. It's a different style of, of loving, and the responses to that is going to be different. And so, therefore, he says that love of a spouse has to be something that is very unique. It has to be something of its own genre of love and that we shouldn't try to confuse these different sorts of loves either. With that, he does have a number of different traits and aspects of love. He, he talks about different elements that should be involved in, in every type of love and how those look different in all the different types of love. But the two most prominent are what he calls the intensio unionis and the intensio benevolentiae, which basically, to put it in easier terms, the desire to be in union with the one you love and the desire for the well-being of the one you love. With marriage, then, the desire for union is this ultimate desire that, that husband and wife want to be completely one with each other. So whatever one experiences, the other is experiencing it. Whatever one is is joyful, the other's joyful. When one's sorrowful, the other's sorrowful. But with that, the desire for the good is also going to be incredibly prominent because each spouse will do whatever they can for the good of the other, completely giving themselves to the other for the good of the other. And with that, as long as they continue to completely give each other to each other, the more that they find that there's this great union between each other 
uh, and a great fruitfulness in, in marriage itself. Does von Hildebrand's emphasis on love and marriage ever diminish his understanding of the importance of procreation? Ooh, that's a, that's a very good question uh, because that is actually the number one critique that many people have against von Hildebrand. Von Hildebrand, he never wanted to diminish the notion of procreation. He, he saw that as absolutely essential. But he very much, when he was first writing about the love relationship, it was, I want to say, even misinterpreted by a lot of people. And to them thinking, well, marriage then is just about the love, and that's all that, that you need, and that's it. And so they would uh, then kind of take that and run amuck with it a little bit. Yeah. And... You know, some people would say, well, if marriage is about love, if love is no longer there, then you don't need the marriage anymore. Or, um, you know, if marriage is only about love, then, you know, it doesn't matter who you love or how you love or whatever it is, then go ahead and enter into that relationship. And that's not what von Hildebrand wanted to do at all. And, and to really get a grasp of this, I think you really need to read multiple works by von Hildebrand. Uh, he does have a work um, called Marriage, The Mystery of Faithful Love. And that's one of the first works that he had that really promoted that love relationship between husband and wife. He does say in a small part of that, that to diminish the procreative aspect of marriage is horridly against God's plan for marriage, and it should never be done. But the rest of it is focusing on the relationship. However, another great work is his work entitled The Encyclical Humanae Vitae, which is on The Encyclical Humanae Vitae. When Humanae Vitae came out, the, the Pope basically said that the church in no way is going to support artificial contraception or, or anything like that. And von Hildebrand was one of the first to jump on this and write an entire book in promotion of the Pope, letting people know that this is absolutely an essential part of marriage, that it is for the union and the procreation. And to go against that at all is completely against God's plan. Uh, When you really look at it as a whole, his understanding of the love relationship actually supports and emphasizes procreation. It's not meant to diminish it, but it's meant to enhance it, in essence. Diedrich von Hildebrand is really kind of a a big part of our discussion today. You're just now we're going to jump a little bit to your dissertation on the element uh, of sacrifice in marriage, because that's the title of this, the sacrifice in marriage. Does Dietrich von Hildebrand have anything to say specifically on the nature of sacrifice itself? Um, he does, but uh, that's one of those things that's really interesting in his writings, is that he doesn't spend a lot of time on what sacrifice is, even though you can actually find it in his writings. So he does in one of his works, I believe it's uh, The Nature of Love, he does actually define sacrifice as either the giving up of a legitimate good or the taking on of a legitimate evil. Uh, Now that needs a little bit of explanation. So the giving up of a legitimate good is something that is truly beneficial for the person that you just forego. So giving up a meal would be a sacrifice. Um, You know, just some sort of giving up of a legitimate good. Mm -hmm. But the taking on of a legitimate evil, we need to make sure that we clarify that because he's not talking about sin in this case. One one should never sin. 
So the idea of taking on anything that that's actually immoral is, is is not his intent, but that would be kind of the the taking on of extra works of service or taking on certain penances, you know, other other forms of of uh, of asceticism or or whatever have you, those sorts of things where you're actually kind of taking on something that is is difficult or a struggle would be kind of that legitimate evil that he's talking about. So that's his general definition of sacrifice. But he does go into other topics that basically are topics on sacrifice. He just doesn't call it by name. So he does have in one of his books this notion of holy suffering and what holy, holy suffering is based off of the uh, beatitude, blessed are, are the, the poor in spirit. Or, and with that, he, he has this notion that whenever we realize our separation from God, there's going to be this natural suffering that comes along, this natural sorrow that, that comes along. And this holy sorrow or this holy suffering is something that allows us to kind of enter into our spirituality a little bit more, enter into what it is that is separating us from God and separating us from a wholeness of life. And when we take on that sort of holy suffering or, or holy sorrow, in essence, he doesn't call it by name, but that is the sacrifices we make in order to be right with God and right with others mm-hmm. as well. Well, we're going to take that one step further. You talked really on the nature of sacrifice itself, but how does he uh, understand the role of sacrifice within marriage then? Well, with this, we're going to combine a couple of notions that we've already talked about. So going back to what love is in marriage, he talks about those two elements, the, the two primary ones, which is the desire to be in union with the one you love and the desire for the good of the one that you love. When you look at the desire for being in union with the one you love, the more you are united with the person that you love, the more you experience everything they experience. So, you know, when a parent sees a child trip and fall, the parent is going to feel the hurt of the fall to an extent. Mm. When a friend sees another friend going astray, the the friend is going to feel the pain of, of that, that going away. And the same thing with husband and wife. When something bad happens to one, the other's going to feel it. The other one's going to experience it. When the uh, husband and wife see each other doing something wrong, they're going to feel the, the pains of that or sometimes the embarrassment of it, you know. So by entering into marriage, you're automatically, in a sense, saying, I'm willing to suffer what you suffer and suffer with you when you suffer it. And with that, I'm willing to offer that as a sacrifice. I'm willing to make these sacrifices because that's how much I want to be in union with you. But in addition to that, the spouses always want what is best for the other as well. So when one spouse sees the other one struggling, they're going to want to enter in and say, how can I help you? How can I bring you out of your struggles? Mm -hmm. If you're in pain, how can I help you to bring you out of that pain. Uh, If I see you doing something wrong or immoral, how can I jump in to help you to come to a better way of life? And with that, there are, once again, a lot of just natural sacrifices that are going to have to come along the way in order to to bring that person to a, a fuller way of life. Once again, taking on those 
legitimate evils and giving up those legitimate goods for the sake of the good of the other. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo, please know we'll be right back with Father Nick Parker talking about the sacrifice of marriage. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. The Sacrifice of Marriage with Father Nick Parker. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Our guest this morning, Father Nick Parker, talking on the sacrifice of marriage. And Father, marriage is supposed to be happy and fulfilling, loving each other forever. And when we get married, we're not thinking that this will be sacrificial. So let's take a look at that from that angle, because this, when I saw the title of this, too, I thought, why, why do we think of marriage as sacrificial? Okay. Well, um, to, to start with this one, I, I think it's, it's good to kind of go to the nature of the promises of the couple. Because when a couple makes those promises to each other, the idea behind the marriage promises is not that the couple, that, that each individual is doing this for themselves. You know, sometimes people have that idea of, I want to get married because it makes me happy. I want to get married because it, 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 it completes me, it fulfills me. That idea of a, a self-focused, this is for me, is actually contrary to the nature of the sacrament, is contrary to the nature of the promises. Keep in mind that when the couple comes together, they say, I promise to be faithful, to be, to be true, to love you and honor you in good times and in bad and sickness and health. Those words are not, I promise to look out for me and make sure that you are making me happy and making sure that you're making me fulfilled. It's a complete laying down one's life for the sake of the other. So why do we get married? Not because this person makes me happy, but because I want to make this other person happy. Not because you make me fulfilled, but I want you to be fulfilled. That very nature is going to be sacrificial, the giving up the self for the sake of the other. That's why if you go back to that Ephesians quote that uh, that was part of that trivia there, mm-hmm. um, if you really look at it, Jesus is saying that husbands are to give themselves to the wife and the wife is supposed to give themselves to the husband. It's not a self-focused thing. Mm-hmm. Right? So the very nature of uh, marriage is incredibly sacrificial. But there's another great part of von Hildebrand's philosophy and theology as a whole. And to kind of summarize it, he says, the more, it's, this is kind of a, a, a basic summary, but the more you lose yourself, the more you will find that you have gained that fulfillment. In other words, the more that you try to seek fulfillment for yourself, the more it's a self-defeating purpose. You're, you're not going to find full happiness and full joy if you're constantly seeking it and trying to grasp at it. But the more that you give of yourself, the more that you will find what you're looking for. He, he talks about that a lot, actually, in his book on uh, liturgy and personality. 
in that book. It's a, it's a great book, just a little promo of that book that uh, it talks about the more that you give yourself to the liturgy, the more that you will find that it truly has an effect on your life. Mm. Um, but the more you try to say, what can it do to serve me? the more you're going to find that you're just not going to get anything right. out of it. <laughs> right. Yeah, very much. Um, and a lot of times that's the question we ask people who maybe are leaving the faith is like, you know, I didn't get anything out of the Mass. Well, what have you put into it? Yeah. So it's kind of same, same philosophy there. And uh, we still have a little bit of time left, Father. And I want to find out if marriage is supposed to be so sacrificial, uh, so sacrificial, how do you explain this at the same time it's supposed to lead to happiness and fulfillment? So... Getting really both of those, kind of explain how that, that works. Sure. Well, as I was talking earlier with the notion of von Hildebrand, that the more that you, the more that you lose yourself, the more that you find what you're looking for. And it's, it's uh, in, the, in the giving that you find that you're able to, to receive. So with that, the more that a couple is really willing to enter into that sacrifice in marriage, the more that they're willing to lay down their lives for the other, that just naturally is going to have the other effect of of giving them that happiness and fulfillment that they're looking for. The more you seek to grasp it, the more you're going to lose it. The more you seek to give yourself, the more it's naturally going to come and that you're going to find it. So that's kind of how it plays out. You have to you have to lose yourself in order to, to find that happiness and fulfillment. Interesting, because the line you mentioned there sounds like a line from the prayer of St. Francis, right? In giving, it's in giving that we receive. Absolutely, yeah. So that's really kind of the basis of, of, um, of what really this talks about, the fact that you, it can be sacrificial, but it will lead to happiness and fulfillment because of that desire to uh, serve the other, love the other. And, yeah, um, absolutely. So... We uh, obviously covered a lot of ground here and talked about that. Any other final thoughts on, because there are a couple other questions we have for you that are kind of off this topic, but um, as far as the sacrifice of marriage, some great information here uh, with regards to Diedrich von Hildebrand, but any other um, thoughts, final thoughts you might have on the sacrifice of marriage that you want to share? Well, you know, we just covered a very basic overview of, uh, of von Hildebrand. He's a great person to, to really look into, to, to read. His wife uh, still lives in New York, Alice von Hildebrand. He, he died in 1977, but his wife is still alive. So she, uh, I, I've gotten to email her a couple times, which is really, really? cool. Well, yeah, it, it really is kind of cool that uh, she even responded to my emails. So No kidding. Yeah, but it, that, that's pretty neat. So but, what about what year was he born? I was trying to get a timeline on his It life. was 1889. 1880, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, it's just one of those, uh, just kind of reiterating that, that final point, that the more that you're willing to give your spell give yourself for the good of your spouse the more that you're willing to sacrifice for the sake of of your marriage the more that you'll find that that's really what makes it fruitful and and life-giving you know so it's it's all about just giving yourself for the good of the other mm. but father i know you're working on your doctorate as well what what do you have left there to complete uh, your doctorate okay well um yeah, i've been working on it for about three and a half years now. Is that right? Something like that. We'll go with that. Three and a half, four years. <laughs> but uh, it's, thank goodness, the, the draft, the main draft is all written. And uh, right now I have a, actually a friend of mine who also does some freelance copy editing going over it. And uh, her name is Dawn Eden. And she's actually published uh, three or four books herself, which are really great if you get a chance to read them hmm. um, by Dawn Eden. But anyways, she's going to go through and 
do some copy editing for me. Then after that, I also have a, a couple of Von Hildebrand scholars that are looking at it to make sure that I have all of my most essential sources that I, that I need for it. Hopefully that won't be too difficult if they find any sources I'm missing, but they're looking for sources that I might be missing in any language out there. So that might make things a little bit interesting. <laughs> but once I get those done, then hopefully I'll actually have that done by the end of the month. I will then have to send it in to have two or three other people, other, other professors read it, make their comments. And then after that, I will have my uh, doctoral defense, which not scheduled yet. That's not scheduled until the other readers have read it. But that's basically they set me in a room, in the very middle of a room, with people all just sitting around the perimeter of the room. There's a few professors that have, prefer that have prepared questions for me. I give a quick 10-minute pr presentation. The professors drill me with questions. Then anyone who wants to come can drill me with any question that they want. And after an hour, if I have been able to answer their questions satisfactorily, then I'll hopefully be able to uh, receive the doctorate. Wow, uh, that I, that has to, I mean, that sounds a little bit intimidating. Oh, I'm scared to death. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I can imagine. So, well, let's talk a little bit about, obviously, you've, you've served uh, here in the Salina Diocese. For those folks who may not know, I mean, uh, I always like to hear vocation stories. We have a few minutes left, but maybe if you would kind of share your vocation story with us, maybe what life was like growing up, uh, your faith life growing up, and, and then how your vocation came about. Uh, my vocation story, that's, I don't have a good vocation story. I normally make my vocation story up, just so you know. Um, for a while, I was telling people that I lost a bet, um, which isn't true. But then uh, once decided to tell people that there was a day that I realized that there was more to life than being really, really ridiculously good looking, um, which is kind of true. <laughs> um, <laughs> Recently, I, I hope that this isn't too offensive for uh, for live air, but um, I, I've been telling people the anti-vocation story. Like, have you ever heard of an anti-joke? Hmm. Um, an anti-joke is a joke that's so offensive that you don't know what to do but to laugh. And so, oh, okay. yeah. So I have the anti-vocation story, which is that uh, one time I was holding a baby, and I dropped it. And after that, it just kind of made sense that I should probably be a priest, <laughs> so, which also is not true. I, I've never right. dropped a baby. <laughs> I grew up in Goodland. My parents were, were very good at making sure that we always went to Sunday school, mass every weekend. My brother and I were altar servers. My sister became a cantor when she was uh, relatively young. Um, so we were pretty involved, I, I guess, in, in, the, in the church, but then I remember uh, going to college, and when I went to college, it's, it's a different experience. I went to Fort Hayes, and I got involved like on my first day at the Catholic Campus Center. And I was a music major at Fort Hayes. I was invited my first day going to Hayes to, uh, to the Campus Center because it was uh, a holy day of obligation that day. And so we were going to have mass, and then we were going to have a party afterwards. And I just met some really good friends, and they just really helped me to get like really involved in my faith. And it's really different in college when you finally get a chance to choose your faith as opposed to, mm. well, I'm doing this because I'm supposed to. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful that I was given that strong foundation from my parents. Um, so that, that helped a ton. Uh, but another part of, of the story is that I remember when I was in college, of course we'd hear 
lots of different vocation stories from different priests and, and even some seminarians. And some of them would have stories as to, well, I had this one priest who came up and told me that I should consider the priesthood, and it just always stuck with me. Or somebody who said, yeah, this old lady uh, would come and talk to me and tell me that I should be a priest. Or another person would say, you know, I was, I was thinking about it, but I was really wanting God to, to reveal it to me. And so I went to the Adoration Chapel, didn't realize that there was a light out above me, and then all of a sudden it turned on and on me when I was praying about it. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to consider that as my sign. But all of these stories, like I loved them, I thought they were fantastic, but with every single story, my conclusion was, okay, but none of that's ever happened to me. Like, <laughs> nobody ever was like, yeah, you should be a priest, or, you know, no, no priests or old ladies or lights coming on at the right time, you know. Thankfully, at the end of my first year in college, I just, by getting involved in the faith, um, that eventually helped me to uh, come to know that this is what I wanted to do. You know, yeah. So I did actually finish up my music degree at Hayes, went straight to the seminary. But another thing that's interesting about the seminary is that you have people from all sorts of parts of the country and all f from different countries and everything. Mm -hmm. It's the, the most unique place I've ever been. And of course, seminarians love to tell their vocation stories. And so they would all tell about the different things that influenced them in their faith and in their life and everything like that. And after every one of their stories, it was the same sort of experience. That's fantastic. That's not me. <laughs> uh, it didn't deter me at all from becoming a priest. Like I definitely knew I wanted to be a priest, mm -hmm. but eventually I just came to realize that as unique as God makes us is as unique as God calls us. So that's basically the moral of the story sure. that I give to people during vocation talks is, is that I can tell you my story, listen to other people's stories, be inspired, be enlightened, be motivated, but don't think you have to fit any of those molds and find out how God is calling right. you. Right. That's a great point. So who was chaplain then at Fort Hayes when you were there? Uh, Father Fred Gatchett. It was Father Fred. Okay. Yeah. My yeah. first year there was his first year there. Oh, okay. Because so. I was going to... I, I wondered if that timeline had to be pretty close, so that makes sense. Yep. That, yeah, Father Fred was there and has just uh, done an incredible job. Obviously, he has, he's moved on to the, to the diocese now. Thank you for listening to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo, we appreciate you tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you would like to comment on today's show or have an idea for a future show, please please go to dvmercy.com and click on the double-edged sword icon. And folks, Divine Mercy Radio is needing to raise funds to purchase equipment for a station in Salina. If you can help with this project, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. For a $250 donation, you will receive a stylish Morning Glory mug. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KBDM Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and very soon, 101.7 KJDM Salina. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. <laughs> <laughs>